Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Eric Andrews Lang Show. Congratulations, Rory McIlroy. Snowball. Snowball. We're back. Snowball's here. Uh, the players, obviously, Snowball was watching for many reasons. Right, buddy? <laughs> He's like, where were you on the trip? Were you spreading the words of golf to the masses? Letting them know that this is not a game just for doctors or diplomats or dentists. But it is a game for the other D, the dogs. Snowball loves golf. I feel like we've gone over this. Anyway, I'm so happy to be back home. Obviously, Snowball's a big factor in that. You dirty rascal. He's so he's so dirty. He's the dirtiest dog I've ever met. Not mentally, just physically. Physically, he's... Mentally, I think he's very sound, but honestly, I don't. If you've met him, you might question that. Um, anyway, what a great uh, Monday to start off the, uh, well, I guess we're not really starting anything off. Um, but anyway, came back uh, from a trip, came back from a trip, uh, was going to talk today about some questions that came in about um, traveling and what that's like. And I think the question that I got uh, that, that inspired me to kind of bring up the Q&A on Instagram was we played Para Para Umu with some wonderful uh, people. Uh, six, six people showed up. Two of them worked there, so maybe four showed up. I don't know how you want to look at that. Um, but, uh, but we talked about with a few people there, they said, they said, does it ever get boring? Does playing golf ever get boring? Does it ever get, do you ever get desensitized, right? And, and I mean, on some level, it's a very valid question, and it's actually something we discuss. I mean, hell, we, we landed in New Zealand, played, um, you know, the Hills, played Millbrook, played Jack's Point, and played Arrowtown in the first couple days. And, and those are some of the best golf courses on New Zealand. They're some of the best golf courses in the world. Um, and some of them are very exclusive. The Hills, I don't think, I think it's private entirely. And if you can play, I, th I think I, I heard a number that's like $800 a round, which New Zealand money, that's like, I don't know. It's like 700 still. It's a lot. I would never pay that much. And you know, I, I don't do a good job of asking how much the rounds are before we pet, we play because on a lot of these rounds I'm working and it's and it's coordinated through the director of golf or the marketing company that manages the golf course and ultimately I'm there to do a job, right? Ironically my job is to enjoy what they have to offer. It is a dream job. Um, you know, but that said we still have to make content that's good and you know some are better than others. Obviously I look to the old course episode of the Scotland vlogs as the best example of that. And and there's a great example of the old course we paid for a round that was not included. That wasn't in the original itinerary and it was set up through Rob in St. Andrews, a Portland native. So, you know, it's like, it is ironic, but you know, we, we talk about how I'm not really here to tell you where to play golf because that's obviously a, a, a very nuanced question. How much time do you have? How much money do you have? What kind of golf do you like? Things like this. I'm, I'm kind of here more and, and the whole team is here more to explain how to play golf, how to enjoy it. And so when I, when I, when I look at, you know, where we're playing on some level, they kind of all blend together. Right. And so I'm kind of looking at everything from an equal playing field, J just because one course is more expensive or less expensive. 
I, I, I'm not really entered into the debate of what's worth it or not. Because, um, I mean, on some level, nothing's worth it. And on some level, everything's worth it. It just depends on how much money you have. Golf is unfortunately an expensive game, uh, more expensive than baseball or soccer, right? Those you just roll up and you can just play basketball. Um, bowling, pretty much every bowling alley charges the same amount. Golf is very, uh, is, is widely varied. So the question comes up a lot, right? Where should I play? The true, I don't know where you should play golf. I know where I like to play and I've been working on the website. I'm putting together my list of courses similar to the Sugarloaf Social Club. If you haven't checked those guys out, Definitely go to their Hidden Gems project on their website. It's a really great uh, resource for finding courses that are noteworthy and reasonably priced, which obviously I love. But anyway, we're traipsing through New Zealand, playing the the nation's best courses, and we ended up at Para Para Umu, which is kind of a hidden gem. For a while, it was one of the best courses down there. It's a Lynx course on the West Coast by Wellington. And it's designed by the student of Alistair McKenzie. Um, I'm going to mess his name up. I want to say it's Alex Ross. And, um, you know, he designed one of the courses at Royal Melbourne and studied under McKenzie. So he knows what he's doing. And the course is just a magical treat. Anyway, it was a really interesting backdrop to have this discussion about does it ever get old, right? And and the uh, the gentleman, I want to say it was Jacob, uh, reached out and you know while we were playing golf. He said, does it ever get old? Whatever, whatever happens, you know? And, you know, I thought about it and, and um, you know, the, the strange position, right, that we're in is, is, is that it doesn't get old, but it changes, right? It, the, the, the reason to play golf changes, the sort of value of um, getting dressed up for a round at a nice course, that doesn't, you know, that, that happens less and less kind of, you know, and now I don't really have as much of a preciousness over a certain round, um, which I don't know if it's good or bad. I just don't. Um, I will say that, you know, one of the things that struck me the most was, you know, seeing the, the, the wide swath of courses that we get to see on trips like this, 15 in all in New Zealand, um, some were very inexpensive, some were good value, and some were downright only for billionaires, you know, Tara Edie and the Hills. Um, you know, it, it doesn't entirely matter too much. I mean, obviously, when you're going to go to a nicer place, you're going to, um, you know, it's, it's going to seem like it's more of a bookmark in your life. In, in my life at least. And of course I want to go back to Terra Edie. It's, it's, it's a vacation. It's, it's a, it's a luxurious experience, but how does that really relate to golf? I mean, my job isn't really to rate hotels. Definitely not. So anyway, these questions started to come up. It does blend together. That's, that's the truth is, is, you know, the, the, the joke is as we're going to Narita airport on Saturday evening in Tokyo, or actually no Sunday evening, Sunday, yeah, we left Sunday evening. We got back Sunday morning. How's that? But when you're going to the airport, we joked like, hey, remember the New Zealand Open? Like that was a, that was like three weeks ago and it was on the same trip. And, and it seems like years ago. So it does really blend together. And, you know, the, the concept of um, does it stop meaning something? is is no it always means something it just changes it means something different what what means the most to me now was i i i can remember a few conversations uh during the trip that i had with new people in my life 
Um, you know, one of the most interesting was at Titarangi, which was the last course we played in New Zealand. And a young guy, um, uh, Nathan, came up to me and said, how do you stop caring about score? And what a wonderful question. You know, um, I remember that. Right, Titarangi is an Alistair McKenzie course, the only one in New Zealand. It's it's obviously important for many, many reasons. It's beautiful. It's historic. It's got a great vibe. It's it's the it's basically the closest thing New Zealand has to a municipal course, but they don't actually have municipal courses the way we do in America. Um, but but those conversations are what are important to me, really, uh, and and that's just a factor of who you're playing golf with. So. The idea that we posted an image the other day of, uh, I can't remember what the picture was on Instagram, but someone commented below and said, hey, I'm in Sydney. Who wants to have a random golf club meetup in Sydney? And, you know, to be honest with you, I've been waiting for this for some time to just see who would take it upon themselves to get together with a group of people and organize a, a hang session on the golf course in the name of what we believe in, right? I mean, if you're listening to this, if you're watching the episodes on YouTube, if you're following along on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, you, I think, believe in what I believed in the whole time, which is, wow, what is that? I don't know how to, I don't know how to sum that up, but basically it's the game of golf as an egalitarian conversational exercise and not so much a uh, Q school for the greats. I love watching golf on television, and I didn't get to watch a shot from the players. Sure, I was home on Sunday. I could have watched it. I debated going to watch it, but ultimately, me going to watch the players felt like a bit of an antisocial exercise. I just wanted to go see my friends that had been gone for a while. I don't have uh, TV in my house. I, I probably could have streamed it, but whatever. I, I, I just, you know, on some level, watching golf on TV isn't what it's so much about for me anymore. It was for a long time. But now it's more for me about the, the, the experience of the culture of golf that I care so much about. I'll sum up a little bit what happened in Japan to fill in the gaps that may exist. Basically, the USGA invited my company to make some films for them uh, about nine months ago that, that spoke to the future of the game of golf and how urbanization... Uh, more people moving into cities and more crowding in cities was going to lead to a difficult future for the game of golf, i.e., how do you get out of the city to play? Where are the courses located? How are they taken care of? You know, how are we going to incentivize the younger, uh, you know, population to get into the game of golf as the current golf demographic is dying? Um, you know, that, that was the goal. So we made a series of films for the USGA, and in the process of making those films, they said, Eric, geez, you know, would you like to come down to Japan and introduce these films? And then it became, geez, Eric, would you like to host the entire event? And then it became, Eric, would you like to host a panel, like a live podcast with some um, great thinkers on, you know, redefining what a golf facility actually is? And so it was this really wonderful summit of sorts, talking about the future of the game of golf. And obviously, if you listened last week, you may have missed it, I don't know, but Brian was on, Brian from um, Minnesota was talking about how golf courses are good even for non-golfers on a you know a ge geological impact as far as oxygen and rain. What did he call them? Um, we call it a rain. Uh, I can't remember what he called it. A rain shed or something. Um, but uh, it wasn't a rainforest. A rain garden. No, was that it? I can't remember. Anyway, um, 
it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And what we decided to do uh, as a company was my guys decided to hang back and, and film a little bit of golf in Japan, which is its own beast. I mean, I don't even know if I can get into it on this podcast. It's so different from anything I've ever experienced. And I've played in Japan before, but not to the degree that we played this time, not the courses this that we played this time, which were a little bit more um, uh, noteworthy, I guess. You know, um, It was interesting that we were having problems just agree getting a course to agree to let us go there and film that was quite an issue in japan whereas in new zealand you could rock up with a camera and they'd say what kind of drone is that can't go fly it let's see what it looks like in japan if you launched a drone without like written permission you were you're liable to get arrested and i've already been arrested in japan see my safe story for driving without a license last year that was pretty scary so the whole the whole experience of golf in Japan is just very different. In the end, it ended kind of on a sour note. Um, I got kicked out of a hot tub for having a tattoo. You're not allowed to have tattoos in an onsen, and I knew that rule, but I had forgotten. And um, yeah, so kind of escorted out of the hot tub uh, naked. Uh, you know, was a little bit embarrassing, but nonetheless, I just got up and left and went to the airport. But uh, that's a whole other story, the, J- the Japan golf thing. I think, I think the culture there loves golf. I think they're going to have a hard time uh, culturing, cultivating the flexibility to allow the game to grow in that country, to be totally honest. Um, it's a very rigorously disciplined game in Japan. Uh, I didn't, unfortunately, get to go to the more um, you know down-and-out courses because even those are still a hundred and something dollars, and they're an hour and a half drive. And and even those, we we weren't getting the approval to go play there. So all in all, pretty complicated. But the three courses we did play in Japan: Narita, um, um, Narashino, and Yokohama were all wonderfully welcoming. Uh, you know, courses. All of them have hold, held. Uh, you know. Uh, famous tournaments and they're all big clubs in their own right. And in any event, you know, there's great stories there and we're going to cut those vlogs together. We also went shopping in Japan for some clothing, golf clothing to kind of give you an idea of the fashion, the golf fashion in Japan. So anyway, look forward to that. Um, but yeah, just happy to be back, you know, definitely, uh, definitely relieved to be home for a, for a small stretch here before the next gig. (sighs) <sighs> what else? Um, I got, I, I'm going to, um, I'm going to, oh, you know what I'll do? I'm going to, before I jump into the questions, I'll, I'll, I'll go to the questions after the break. But for now, I wanted to discuss this really interesting, um, I went to dinner with my buddy, John, and he mentioned this um, study. I got it on a message here, uh, text. The study is called Gratitude Physically Changes Your Brain, a new study says. I haven't properly summarized this in a podcast form, but basically what happened was is a study, a team of researchers recruited 43. Um, no, this is not what it is. I'm just going to paraphrase what I remember from dinner instead of reading that article. How's that? How's that for you? So I was like, that is good, but you are still unprepared. Well, you know, this whole, this, this pod could be called the unprepared, 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 unprepared podcast. Um, basically they took, uh, doctors in the ER and because they were easy to access and buy a hospital or whatever, and they divided them into three groups. They were trying to measure how burnout rate is affected and they divided them into three groups. Uh, the first group did nothing. They just did the same. The second group reported at the end of the day, three things that were very annoying. The third group reported at the end of the day, three things that they were grateful for. Can you guess what the findings were? 
The findings were that the group that did nothing stayed the same, 50% uh, burnout rate. The group that reported uh, negatives uh, had a burnout rate of 73% or something. And the group that reported the positives, I mean, I, I'm, I, now I'm being um, you know, uh, anecdotal because I don't have the numbers in front of me, but John said it was like 7% uh, burnout rate. So the idea is by r- keeping track of what you're grateful for, you literally build the uh, inspiration to work harder and to view the world in a positive way. And this is interesting because I think it relates to the rounds of golf that I've played in my life. When I leave the round and I say to myself, what were the good shots? What were the good memories? What were the good conversations? Because sure, I mean, I can go on a golf trip for three weeks and I can tell you the bad things. There are a lot of them. You know, I got kicked out of the hot tub. There's one. That, I, I said that not as a complaint, but more as a cultural understanding of like, you would never get kicked out of a hot tub in America or any other country, really, for having a tattoo. Um, but... You know, I could, I could, sure. I mean, not, you know, going to, uh, getting into Cape Kidnappers at 2 a.m. Uh, and going to bed at 3 and waking up at 6 for your tea time. That, that was, that was tough. That hurt. <laughs> that hurt my body. But the reason why is because we played Parapara Umu. If we hadn't have done that, we would have gotten into Kidnappers at 5 p.m. We would have had a luxurious six course dinner, but we chose not to do that. And ultimately, I look at that as a positive, right? Like, I wanted to play this course that was not on the list. Paraparaumu, we, we got off the plane midway. We weren't supposed to go there. We, we were connecting in Wellington, and then we are going to fly to Napier. But instead, we just got off the plane, collected our baggage, rented a car last minute, drove to uh, Paraparaumu, had a wonderful afternoon, a wonderful random golf club, and just really enjoyed that. So that's a positive. Anyway, I don't have a hard time with this, really. Gratitude has always been something that I place a lot of value on in my life. It's my short life, is what I will call it. And so I just I just thought that was interesting. And, and as I was at dinner thinking about that and hearing that, I was like, you yeah, know, we should bring that up on the podcast because I know a lot of us, uh, you know, can benefit from this at any stage of our lives. And especially if you relate it to golf because the USGA, I mean, Mike Davis stood up on stage and told us all that uh, people are coming to golf. The problem is that people are also leaving. And so well, the way I see that is we're getting score bound, we're, we're, we're getting results bound, and we're not really playing the game the way I think it was invented to be played. Merely the game as it was invented was I think a rock and a stick were met by the hands of a shepherd walking along a, a set of land that wasn't arable. It was in between the ocean and the town, and it was called Lynx Land because it was just the sand. It was the dunes. Not, no, no farming crops could grow there. Just this fescue, and the and the goats and rabbits would chew down the fescue and create these little fairways, and then the hole is four and a quarter inches wide because that's the size of the pipe that the first farmer put in the ground to make a hole for the rock. So the game then is is there's there's no uh, outward projection of of what your par is or what your score is. You're you're merely just playing against the person, and that's why I love match play. It's a great way to play golf. If you haven't tried match play and you're new to golf, just try it. You might really experience it differently because you're not, dude, to put together a round of strokes where every shot counts, that's mind-bogglingly hard and crazy. I can't do it. I can't. I go crazy. Match play, I can blow one and lose the hole. I got a chance to come back on the next one. You know, I got a chance. So um, anyway, that's that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into these questions from traveling after a quick break. All right, everybody, time to hear from maybe what's soon to become your best friend, Blue Chew. Okay, here's the deal. 
Do you remember the days when you were always ready to go? I'm not talking about going to the bathroom. I'm talking about increasing your performance and getting that extra confidence. You guessed it, on the driving range. Nope, I mean in bed. Seriously, listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue, not the color that your balls were before you got this wonderful. Okay, moving on. BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know it's the real deal. I've tried it, and I'm afraid to say I couldn't leave the house for beep. And it's the stuff that works, exclamation point. You can take them anytime, day or night. You can even eat them in a sandwich. I'm just kidding. I haven't actually looked into that. But the point is, even on a full stomach, because they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. For example... After getting your sandwich at Chick-fil-A and you realize that maybe you were hungry for something else. That's the phone ringing, folks, but it's not Blue Chew calling me to tell me that this ad is unairable. It's someone else calling me to find out if I really use Blue Chew. Anyway, hang on, because here's the deal. This isn't just for guys with dysfunction. It's for any guy who wants extra function and to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Now, here is actually an interesting subject because... Have I, do I realize that you can always be better at something that you're not the best? Tiger Woods, for example. All right, I'm going to leave that there. I'm not going to go any further. Anyway, Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. That means that it doesn't say Blue Chew all over it. I'm going to get laid in four minutes. So there's no in-person doctor's visit and no waiting at the pharmacy. And best of all, no more awkwardness unless you Eat a lot of blue chew before the date. Okay, moving on. They're made in the USA, and since blue chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. So right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. That means you listening right now. Pull over the lawnmower, get out your pen and paper. You're going to go to bluechew.com and get your first shipment free. Free? Wait, hang on. Free? You're going to get your first... Jeez, I'm going to text this to everybody except... Mom and Dad, please skip past this. This is embarrassing. Anyway, you're going to get your first shipment free when you use the special promo code ERIK, E-R-I-K. Don't spell my name wrong this time, folks. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's blue, B-L-U-E, chew, C-H-E-W.com. Promo code ERIK, E-R-I-K, to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. All right, folks. You know my favorite golf shoe, don't you? I think you do. It's three-stripe life, y'all, and that means Adidas. Um, and so anyway, I just wanted to tell you that when I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Tour 360, obviously, and uh, they've made a huge update to the Tour 360, and uh, the two letters that it's concerned with are the letters X and T, okay? The Tour 360 XT changes the game, okay? It's lighter. So your feet feel even better after a round. By the way, a light golf shoe is what I'm all about. A heavy. There are some other companies making heavy golf shoes, and I'm just like, by the way, I weigh enough. There's enough going on. I'm carrying a golf bag. I'm carrying my team. Um, Tor XT changes the game. It's lighter, so your feet feel even better after a round, and it still features that boost, y'all. Do you know where boost comes from? It And boost is cool because it only comes in black and white. I don't know if you noticed that. And actually, they the guy who made boost like was going to bring it to some other, you know, they, they were shopping it around, and everyone else said no. Adidas was like, I'll take that boost, even though it's only black and white. And what did Adidas do with it? They made it awesome. I'm looking at boost right now on my feet. 
boost on my feet. Uh, and it has an X-shaped traction system that gives you insane stability. Literally, it's not sane. It's literally crazy. Your feet will literally be like, I'm crazy. Best part, it comes in spikeless. Ooh, that's tight. The first spikeless ever in the history of the Tour 360. Crazy comfortable and perfect for the course. Get your pair at adidas.com. Thank me later. Follow Adidas Golf for all the latest and greatest. That's all true statements right there. Check it out. Go support Adidas because they're a good company, good people. I like it. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason. And we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy. And we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now check out this podcast. All right. First question is, uh, when you're home, what do you miss most about traveling? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, Nick Andrews 10. Uh, so the thing is when I'm home, it, it recedes into a much more calm shore. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's not a wild ocean. It's, it's merely a lapping lake. And so what I miss is that intensity, that extreme newness. You know, the greatest part about traveling and about being a, quote, tourist is that everything's new. And when you're home, I find I struggle to make things new. I go to the same places, right? I try to see my my, my home in a new way, my town, my people. I try to dig in. I try to really make each drop of juice from that orange count, right? I try to get it all. But, on, but when you're traveling, that just happens naturally. You're going to walk around with wonder. You're going to stay up late. You're going to get up early because you know you're there. I've learned that at least. I may not go back. you know. And, and so I miss that mindset right? that you get so easily on the road. And then he goes vice versa. What do you miss most about home after an extended trip like you were just on? Uh, my bed. I love my, I love my bed. It's, a, it's the hardest bed that Ikea would sell me. It's basically uh, you know, some cement poured into a bowl. And I have these linen sheets that I got at a um, uh, factory sale. They're way past my pay grade. You know, I, th- I think the duvet was like $500. I got them for 100 I got them like 80% off. And I just, I just love it. I just love laying in bed early, getting early, throwing on a projector uh, movie or show or something. Um, I love that. I, I, I love not leaving the house, to be honest with you. The other thing I love about being home is I love the office. I love going into the office and seeing the crew, and I love watching the edits. I love watching what we've done become real. It's, it's, almost, like, it's almost like if Tom Doak were to, uh, if we were to assimilate what we do to what an, a golf course architect does, the traveling is kind of the, uh, is kind of the blueprint. We go out and we look at what's possible. And then looking at the edit is like arriving at the course and being like, wow, that turned out differently and, and better than I thought. So, you know, go, that's, a, that's definitely a reality for me. Um, when you come home from a long trip, this is from um, Two Cents Worth. When you come home from a long trip, is there a certain thing you do to reset your mind with the exception of sleep and hanging at your house, i.e. go get a certain meal at your favorite restaurant or do you and the snowball go to the beach, et cetera? What gets your mind ready for the next thing? Okay, so when I get home, I usually like to uh, watch the sunset outside, wherever I'm going to be. I don't, I don't have a ritual around it, but I like to walk around some neighborhood in Los Angeles. I usually like to go to the driving range or, or play some golf and just just unwind because the experience of playing golf on the road is very different from the experience of playing golf probably the way you know most people play golf. I mean, a lot of times we're not playing 18. We might be playing less. We're maybe jumping a hole or we're staying on a tee box for 30 minutes while we film or drone or you know get some B-roll or maybe we're waiting for the sun or maybe we're playing and it's raining. I mean, I don't want to play in the rain, but 
I'm here. I got to play. So we played in the rain. You know what I mean? Like, you got to do it. We got bags for the cameras. We got a lot of umbrellas. We got rain gear. So I like to just come home and play golf. L.A. is blessed to have beautiful weather every day of the year, period. So obviously that's not true. But, you know, I like to just go enjoy a round of golf without anything, just my phone. Um, what gets me ready for the next big thing? Jeez, anything, man. Just the idea of, of, of new. That's I don't need much temptation. Um, um, I'm reading this as I'm listening to you. Um, Eric, I just this is from uh, Rob Vanesti. I can't spell that. Um, I just started listening to your podcast, and they're great. It puts a lot of things, golf-related or not, in perspective. I'm on episode 11 now, and I just got back from Japan. If And you just got back from Japan. Okay, so this is a year ago. If I have followed well, it is your third time visiting. No, this is my fifth or sixth. Um, I was wondering um, if you experience it differently every time. Same goes for other places you've already visited and played golf at. Interesting question. Do I experience Japan differently? Uh, absolutely different. I mean, this time was actually not as fun in Japan as the other times. This was work. Uh, do, doing the USGA uh, MC duties and the summit was like insanely stressful. Like it's not my default to go up and speak in front of hundreds of people. Despite the fact that it's something I love, I, I do find it very easy to do. And people did say you didn't seem nervous because I, I wasn't really nervous. But the experience of stress and no mulligans was very real. Um, you know, and the truth is the mistakes I made, nobody noticed. That's the great thing. Um, but yeah, no, this trip was very, very work oriented and, and actually quite exhausting in Japan, even though we were in one hotel for the week, which is very unusual for us. Um, so anyway, that's that. Um, all right, hang on. I'm going to find more questions. All right. Well, I'll just, I'll just read this little comment here from, uh, S.D.E. Bush. This is on that photo of, of me in the airport in Narita. He said, where is a random golf club vibe for local muni tracks in cities like Detroit, Philly, or Atlanta? Um, I haven't played golf in Detroit or Philly, uh, personally. Uh, Atlanta, I'm going to play there at the Bobby Jones course in a month. So I will get to that. Then he goes on to say something interesting that I was going to reflect on. Not every one of your readers plays as many high-end tracks or gets to visit these ultra-exclusive clubs. I think you're missing a huge sector of the golf public and leaving out the local Muni vibes. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, your name is Stéphane Deboucher. Um, couldn't agree more. Um, I, I totally agree, and and I and I make an effort to do that everywhere we go. I mean, when we were in New Zealand, what they started with on the trip when we when we worked with our local fixer for our itinerary was Terry Eady, Kidnappers, Cowrie Cliffs, uh, Jack's Point, uh, you know. Um, the, the, the Hills and Millbrook, all of those are above $500 a round. I said, okay, fine. Let's also dip into the other ones. Arrowtown, um, Otago, Paraparaumu, Mungify, um, uh, Takaro, um, Tokoroa, I'm sorry. And, um, you know, uh, and Titarangi. So I, I, I do do an effort to do that. I promise. Japan was difficult, like I already addressed on this podcast, but I, I definitely do. Um, and and there was a response here from Mike Anz who says, yeah, I love Eric and his work, but if you want affordable and interesting golf courses, check out Fried Egg. Okay, definitely go check out the Fried Egg, Andy Johnson's work. He does a really good job of pointing out notable, architecturally notable golf courses around the country. And I've even said to Andy, when he told me he didn't go to Scotland, we did a video with him at Lawsonia, which is a wonderful course in Wisconsin by... Um, Oh, I'm going to forget their names. Uh, I can't remember their names right now, but um, <laughs> I'm sure you're thinking of it, aren't you? I want to know the names. Um, 
They used the steam shovel. I know that. Um, Lawsonia. I, I got to just leave it. But anyway, Andy does a really good job. When, when I found out he had never been to Scotland in the vlog, his answer was, I have too much work to do in America. And you know what? I respect that. I really do because he's he's doing it the way he's doing it. And, you know, at the same time, I'm doing my job, right? I mean, I and I and I couldn't agree more. That's why, you know, there's a reason why Beth Page is more viewed than Oakmont on my YouTube channel. And I see that and I see the value of that. And I and I and I haven't really forgotten, you know, that I came from playing Twilight Golf just in the afternoons at the courses that I could afford. Rustic Canyon is my favorite course, right? I mean, it's a Gilhans course that you can play for 40 bucks in LA. It was rated the best deal in America. It's a Lynx course with no houses on it, and it's out there. Um, you know, for me, that's that's really important, and, and I'll never forget that. Um, you know, unfortunately, when I'm traveling around and, you know, we're setting it all up, I, it's all the same to me, and I said that earlier, and, and that's and that's hard, right? Because it's a fine line between am I setting up a trip for somebody or am I making content that you're going to see? Because are you going to go play Terra Edie? I'm curious. Of, of I know my parents, mom and dad, I know you're not going to go play Terra Edie. But And is Terra Edie even my favorite course? No. I would say Para Para Umu is my favorite course in New Zealand, right? I mean, it's just, it's 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 got the blood of golf soaking in its sprinkler system, okay? Terra Edie is great. It's a luxurious experience. It's the Pebble Beach, but Pebble Beach isn't my favorite course either. So, you know, anyway, I agree with your point. I want to do more of that, and I always try to fit it in when I can. So I promise that's true. Um, okay, Sidorabic, your name is Timothy. Timothy Drabic has two questions for the podcast. What was the revelation in golf from the experience at Royal Dornick? Ah, really good question. <sighs> well, if you haven't seen the Dornick episode on YouTube, please do. Um, we were very tired that day, and... I was kind of kicked out of my comfort zone. I arrived at a course that was one of gonna was a bucket list course for me. I had found out about it through a, a guy at Starbucks. I tell the story on the video uh, years before I knew of the old course even. So Dornick for me was always this kind of wild and wonderful place. When I got there and it was filled with Americans and helicopters, I wasn't ready for it. I was expecting a hidden gem experience. And there was someone quoted the thing. They said, it needs to feel discovered for me. It really does. And that's why Parapara Umu in New Zealand, this little course outside Wellington, is more special to me than Terahiti because it was discovered. You know, the world is now totally discovered. You cannot get on a boat and find some place that no one has ever found. My favorite book ever written is a wonderful book called Around the World Single-Handedly by Harry Pigeon. Okay, it was written in like 1905, and it was the second guy... To, to, to build a boat and then sail it around the world in what took him five years. Okay, he, he circumnavigated the entire globe. He went to Galapagos, to Hawaii, to the Micronesia, everywhere, and stopped off in each place for months. He, who knows? He probably has kids all over the world with these women. You know, I, I don't know what was going on. And the book isn't really like that. It's more about a sociological journey. But, you know, to discover something is, I think, the definition of travel. And so, you know, for me... Dornick felt pre-discovered, right? I felt like I was merely arriving at a mall. You know, I used to get in fights with my ex because we would go through these Italian towns and I would want to take the smaller street. I would want the Thoreau, the, the road less traveled by. She would want the bigger road, the road with more shops. Well, look, I mean, that's just a relationship thing. That's not why we broke up. But ultimately, I'm going to always want the thing that's not as found, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to want the thing that I can't just dial up. And that's why in part of our research, I try to go into it with very little Google. 
I try not to know anything about where we're going because I just want to learn it there. And the truth is, I'm not really doing a factual representation of the golf course. I don't need to know my facts. I learn them as we go. And maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe I'll change my mind. I mean, God knows, I, I do consider myself to be a huge hypocrite, and I'm probably even wrong about that. Um, so the revelation in golf was merely that I need to go back to Dornick at twilight in the middle of the winter when no one else is there, and I need to experience the course for what it is. And I need to be alone, and I need to get soup, and I need to be there for a while. So I will do that, right? I, I'm not a person that believes in my opinions as being hard and fast. My opinions are just sort of like the weather. They change. And that's why I'm not a great golf course raider. That's why I don't really understand architecture because I see everything in the world as subjective. So the Dornick episode was not my proudest moment. I was a little disappointed that I wasn't able to overcome my own experience in making that content. But the, but the truth is, that's what those vlogs are, is they are real as they come. I'm not inserting any type of uh, false host reality. It is what it is. And, 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 and it's an attempt, and it's an experiment, and it's an exploration. So we, we found them to be successful, and we will continue doing it until we find them to be unsuccessful or not fun anymore. Uh, Timothy goes on to ask, uh, original Jones bag, Seamus Fescue, or Mackenzie Walker? Okay, well, uh, Mackenzie Walker, that's $1,000, so that's out. Seamus Fescue, $500, and it's too small, so that's out. Jones bag, $100, fits everything I need. It's got a super comfortable strap. I like the company. They're in Portland. Obviously, all these are American-made bags, but the guys at Jones are rad. I love all their stuff. I use their backpacks too. So check out Jones. I'm serious. Like It, it is a comfortable bag, and it's a good company, and it makes sense, okay? Literally sense, like dollars and cents. Uh, don't check it out because of friendships and sponsorships. Give an honest answer, and what is Colt's answer? Is your travel bag option club glove? If so, which one and why? I use the club glove because that's the one I have. I'm looking at getting a sun mount because I like the idea that it can hold the clubs upright without me having to strain my arm. Um, bada bada bada. How do you balance filming and experience the course? Okay, Jeffrey Wygan has a good question here. How do you balance filming and experiencing the course slash people slash experience for yourself through your own eyes? Well, it's an interesting question, but honestly, there's not much of an answer. I mean, when I'm filming, I'm filming. And when I'm, you know, the truth is the only time I'm not filming is when I'm just playing golf purely for fun. And that rarely happens when I'm traveling. You know, when I'm traveling, I'm working. I am literally working. There's an incredible amount of, like, batteries, memory cards, computers, drones, uh, you know, lenses, microphones, uh, story stuff, thinking about shots we need, thinking about moments. Then the editing, of course, is obviously a huge um, process. So it's just completely different. I don't I don't even know how to answer that, to be honest with you. It, it just is what it is. It unfolds the way it unfolds. Um. Da, 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 da. Where's my t-shirt from? Uh, I think that one is from uh, All Saints. The first tee is by Tully's Coffee. Okay, great. Has anyone gotten a hole in one on Ace Cam yet? Well, stay tuned. Maybe they did at Cape Kidnappers. Uh, oh, this is a nice comment. Absolutely a channel that is what golfing should be about in the places you go, a dreamer's dreams. Don't ever stop playing. That's a very nice comment. Um, have done three seasons of adventures in golf in the last two weeks. So if you could just produce another 20 or 30 videos rapid, that would be great. You have 27 plus hard drives full. So no bother to you. Well said, Damien. I love that. I can't wait to do more adventures in golf. What's my go-to on the long flights, books, movies, or work. I listen to music for the first hour and I basically fall asleep. That is what happens. I don't watch any movies. Rarely. Sometimes I do. Um, I don't read it. Uh, I don't, I don't read. I don't know why I just don't read. But, um, but yeah, I just, I usually just listen to music until I fall asleep and just do nothing. I, I really like doing nothing. It's very rare. Um, 
Uh, brand name of the bag, yeah, Jones, someone asked. Enjoy the grind. Uh, what are you going to say? As good as traveling can be and all the different cultures, food, scenery, and golfing, nothing beats living in your own bed. Yeah. Sorry, I should have highlighted these for better. Um, uh, okay, hang on a sec. Here's a quick one from Cole Nashby. I've got a couple questions. Best score ever, 74, two over. Number two, coolest person or group you've played in? Bah, that's my crew. Stu, Colton, um, Evan. Dream foursome. Bah, geez, my family, my mom and my dad, and my future wife. Uh, thank you for all you do for the game of golf. You make it so enjoyable for everyone, even non-golfers. Respect. Thanks, Cole. Uh, Hang on a sec. Here's a good question. Anthony Lag. Trip to New Zealand and Japan looks sick, and I'm excited to see the content that follows. Question for you in regards to your recent post. Do you ever get occasional tingles of loneliness when playing golf? It is one of the reasons I have a hard time playing by myself and even happens sometimes when I play with other people. I'm not sure why, but it almost feels like periods of solitude on the golf course make me feel eerily alone, like almost at a cosmic level. Beautifully written. Maybe it had to do with the fact that golf courses are so large that there is nowhere to hide. So few potential distractions. In a weird way, that feeling keeps me coming back. Like David James Duncan said, solitude is merciless, for it lets a man become precisely what he alone made of himself. Wow, I'm going to read that again. David James Duncan said, quote, Solitude is merciless, for it lets a man become precisely what he alone made of himself. Whoa. Anthony Lagg. Anthony LaGuardia, Seattle and South Bend. My man, you got some good photos of golf on here. Bally Bunyan. Oh, you entered the Hey Photo competition. That's cool. Beautiful picture of Arcadia Bluffs. Arcadia Bluffs. All right, well, let's dive into this complex question here. Does golf make me lonely? Absolutely it does. And that's really a good thing, right? Loneliness is just the inverse of t- connectedness and feeling and feeling together. I think loneliness is one of the most valuable feelings that we can have in our lives because it's what propels us, I think, to reach out and say hello. I don't really play many rounds of golf by myself anymore. I find that it's sort of, uh, maybe I'm going to regret saying this, but a little bit of a waste of my time, you know? I see time as being so valuable and there's so many people that I want to spend it with that for me, golf is about connecting with them in some way. So, so feeling lonely on a golf course isn't really a feeling I've had a lot recently, but, but yeah, it does come up. I mean, if I'm to think of the last time I felt lonely, it's sort of the 16th at Jack's point, the sunset had just dropped below one side of the course. And on the other, we were in shadow and you could see on the mountains on the other side, the sun, the highlights of the sun dipping. And, it's very hard to imagine that the world is a small place on most golf courses. And and I think one of the great things about golf that you brought up, Anthony, is this idea that the course is so big that if you think you're bigger, you are literally about to get uh, woken up. I, I think that's probably what golf is going to teach you at some point is that you're very small. And ultimately, your your score is very small. Your Your game is very small. The idea that we go out and play golf for a score and then we try to tell people about it is is, is literally grabbing the club by the groove. You, you have not figured golf out at all if you're trying to tell someone what you shot. The game of golf is much more about the life we live together with other people and, and how we choose to spend those shots together. How are we going to respond to the bad ones? Rule 17B clearly states you must laugh at the bad shots. And, and, and that's more fun with other people. So, yes, you can go out and play alone and you can gain a lot from it. And just like you said, David James Duncan, this man who I've never heard of that I'm going to research now, 
Solitude is merciless, for it lets a man become precisely what he alone made of himself. And perhaps that's why I like being on the plane, is just the solitude of it. And usually when I got on the plane, that's my loneliest moment. Because the inertia of the trip has settled, and and there's a moment of it's all gone, it's all over. There is no New Zealand trip left. Stuart is heading to Australia. The three of us are on the plane. I'm sitting alone. We're all sitting alone. We're faced with the reality of returning to ourselves. And essentially, like you said, we must become precisely what he alone made of himself. The things that make me not lonely are random golf club, are reaching out to people that are new to the game of golf and welcoming them because they are the most important people. If you've just started the game of golf and you're struggling with realizing that you are a golfer already, I would like to be the first to welcome you to this game. We are lucky to have you, and I hope that you play it in a way that privileges you with a sustainable game that you can play for the rest of your life. And I'm not talking about your swing. I'm talking about your approach, the way you look at your own game. And so please see it as maybe a lonely game that's filled with moments of connectedness, whether it's to yourself or to the earth or to your ancestors or to the people you haven't met yet or to the people that are in your round right now that you've realized you've overlooked what they are doing. Maybe you haven't asked them enough questions. But yes, I do see loneliness as being a good thing, and so I would embrace it just in the same way that, you know, having the same job in the emergency room but reflecting on it differently really changes the physical experience of the job. What are you grateful for in your game of golf? If you're grateful for the loneliness, think about that. What a wonderful life you can lead when you realize that loneliness is something that actually pushes you towards the next the next step, whatever that is. So thank you, Anthony. Beautiful, beautiful question. Uh, Ben has a question for the podcast. What's your go-to travel outfit? All black, my guy. Synthetic, if you can, because then you don't get stains on it and you try not to sweat through it. Started traveling quite a bit internationally as well and trying to figure out great comfy go-to for flights. Jeans and a Henley is currently where I'm at. Hey, jeans and a Henley is great. Just keep it comfy. And darker, the better. Less stains. Um... (laughs) Eric, looking for a fourth to join the three of us at Cabot Cliffs the weekend of July 26th and 28th. Just saying. We're all sixes and handicaps, and we figured why not ask the man himself. Brad, I would love to do that. I can't say yes right now. Um, July, July, July. Let's see. What am I doing in July? July 26th. Maybe just say yes right now. I haven't been to Cabot yet. It'd be fun to go with a random group of strangers, I'll tell you that. July 26th. Well, Morgan Hoffman's got an event in New York. And well, I'll get back to you. Looks like it looks like it's possible, but I can't. It's hard for me to make plans that are um, not rooted in work at that stage. At this stage, being so early. Um, okay, I think I've gotten all the questions through. Um, I'll read one last note here. This is nice from Kyle Hare. Eric, I'm sure you get a ton of messages and you have probably received something along these lines already, but in case not, here it goes. I love your content and a passion for the game. I'm a longtime golfer and greenkeeper. Would love to see something from a greenkeeper's perspective. From some of your videos, you have touched on it, but maybe something more in depth. Would be cool for people to get a better idea of how much work and effort goes into the game we love. Have an awesome day. Kyle, I respect that. You're from Cape Town, Sydney, and Munich. And you're a snowboarder. That's dope. I would love to do that. We're working on doing that. There's a lot of podcasts coming up with some people that I think you'll love if you're even listening to the podcast. All right, everybody. Have a great week. And mom and dad, I love you. Um, We got to get on the phone this week and talk because this one-way podcast conversation isn't cutting it. Right, Snowball? All right. Keep it in the fairway, everybody. And if not, enjoy the weird shots and the weird lies you're going to get out there. And 
Write down three things you're grateful for and let me know how that goes. Set up a random golf club in your hometown and uh, let me know how it goes. I'll, I'll Instagram live with you if you're doing it. And, um, well, geez, just enjoy your life. I'm really grateful that you're listening. And I'm really grateful to be a part of this conversation. Let's continue on. I don't know what hole we're on right now, but I feel like there's a lot of golf left to play.